We met again with Renate and her child, who's now one year old, and she told us everything about how she's doing, how the child is doing, how the husband is doing as well. Remember, it's always a family story. And it's pretty, this story is a really incredible story about normalcy. It's not normal that things go so well in a pregnancy, never mind when you are 40 years old. And I think we have covered the whole ground of the pregnancy and the first year of life. To give you an example what the Buteyko method can do for this very fundamental aspect of, uh, in this case, female health. So I hope you enjoyed this uh, chapter. It might not be the last one because we thought the fifth one will be the last one. But what a great series. I hope you enjoy it. Hi. Hello. You want to wave to them? No. <laughs> Little smile. <Yeah. laughs> Little smile. Oh, he's, he's the best. He just started um, taking some steps and walking. So, yeah, just the two, like a day after he's, uh, he was one year and two weeks, and then he started to take some steps, and now he's wanting to walk more. So, and then next. Next thing you know, he's running around. Yes, he's quite the explorer. Likes to climb on things and likes to climb off things and likes to touch everything he probably shouldn't. <laughs> he likes to be outside a lot. He gets bitten by ants all the time because he likes to be out there so much. <laughs> yeah. Are you, are you close to nature or you live in a city? No, I live on a farm. On a farm, okay. Yes. Oh, wow. That's well, great. Huh? Yeah, that's well, right. It's because like we're, we're planning hay. <laughs> We're, we're planning to live in a farm, actually, to, to make a farm of the property that I have in the mountains. It's taking a long time, like publishing your podcast. You know, it's, I'm, I'm sure <laughs> I will do it, but it takes a little bit of time. So we're planning to do that, actually, to live in off the land. I've never done it. I'm, I'm a city boy, you know, but... Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. You get used to it. Yeah, yeah. Did you also live in a farm and you're kind of used to that or you had to adapt? Uh, no, I lived in a city growing up as a kid in the suburbs. And then I uh, lived in a, in, the, in the town uh, of uh. Gainesville, Florida, where I live. And uh, I sold my house and I moved out to um, my American parents' um, um, 30-acre property. This is where we've been staying for the past uh, three and a half years. And we will eventually build a house um, out here in the country too. I mean that's that's really the plan to do that to save and, and do and do that um, build a permanent residence but out outside of really the city it takes about twenty five minutes for me to drive to work and uh, it's not it's not hard but something something that it very specifically is good for is doing pauses and practice so every single day that I drive into town I do practice and every single time I drive out of town. I, I do a practice. So there's always time in a busy schedule when you're driving to do practice. So I find that, you know, it's easy for me to make sure that I get um, that, that done. <laughs> yeah. That's very good advice. I think uh, uh, students struggle to adapt to new environments, like doing poses in the car, for example. And you have to encourage them, like, you're not going to get at the beginning, at least the same numbers, but sure, you're going to get the practice. Did you say that? Because I almost always do it in the car. That's almost always the time that I could do it. And if I'm not doing it in the car, I'm sitting and I'm quietly doing it at a desk or something. And 
I go, wow, this is so much easier. <laughs> and I forget that it's actually really hard in a car because you're doing so many other things. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, if you're gonna do hundreds of sessions, you're not going to do all of them in a sort of meditative state. You know, no, yeah, you just have to learn how to do it whenever you need to do it. I mean, even if you just do a one pause, mm -hmm. uh, you're like, oh man, I'm starting to fall asleep at my desk or something and I gotta get this work done, do a pause real quick and see how we take some salt go on today yeah i would say not so quick because your pauses are really long so it takes a little bit of a right no i it's i still get my two minutes every day yes sometimes it's more of a struggle than other times but i get it <laughs> great so so you're adapting to the practice uh, despite the fact that you, you you must be very busy right i am but i'm not i reduce my hours at work um uh but uh, by about 10 hours a week so it is not necessarily easier for me to get things done but there's time for me to tend to other things uh, obviously tending to a, a child but um i don't have to sit oh i only have 10 minutes to do this or i only have 30 minutes to get this done like there's more time so that creates a more relaxed environment so i don't feel so rushed to do things and how, how's the how's the baby? He's been an extremely healthy baby. Uh, he's reached all of his milestones uh, really uh, quickly. He just started walking at one year and two, two weeks. Now, I know lots of babies walk sooner than that or whatever, but everything that he's done has been really great. Eating, he's still uh, nursing, drinking breast milk. And he is, he's just really healthy. Like, I don't feel like, oh, what's wrong with him today? He's so cranky or whatever. And if something like that was like there was a little bit out of the norm, it's because he's teething. I'm like, oh, he was really, last night, he was just up every hour and a half or something. And that's normally because he's teething. I can almost, there's like two nights of that. And then we're like, all right, the tooth popped out and we're fine. It's not been a struggle with that. Yeah. And I think, I, I would say, I know that this is not for everybody to do, but um like bed sharing or co-sleeping is really the best way to go because you don't have to worry about getting up and now let's get the baby out of the crib and sit and nurse a little bit and then put the baby back in the crib and there's just no way I would have been able to do that like I would have been sleep deprived and and even even with Buteka breathing I wouldn't have worked for me um so at this point you sleep and you don't sleep too deeply because he's right sleeping right on your arm and uh, so I think in some ways it's really good for sleep. And then you just roll over and he's like, all right, I gotta be on this side now. And then rolls over and he's on the other side. And so he just goes back and forth like that all night long. And it really like, I don't have any issues. And that's actually been really, really good. There's also no oversleeping because he does wake up, even though my circadian rhythm would say, or my, my, um, sleep cycle would say, oh, I'm at 45 minutes, but he's at an hour and a half and wakes up or something like that. So it disrupts my sleep cycle sometimes, but I don't find that that's really a problem at all. I don't like wake up and then I guess some people wake up and then they're like, okay, well now I'm up, whether I'm tired or not. If I'm sleepy, I'm gonna sleep. If I broke a sleep cycle, it doesn't matter. I'm gonna sleep. I don't know if everybody's like that or if the method is helping me do that, but yeah. Oh, I'm sure it helped you. I mean, for me, it's been a big difference as well. With also it changes your attitude, the attitudes, so the knowledge that you acquire that if you because you said something very interesting, like it helps me not to sleep too deep. Yeah, right. 
you didn't put it exactly that way, but that's that could be interesting for someone who doesn't know the method because actually deep sleep tends to make you breathe deeper and there's a connection with that with your breathing and and i don't think i would have voluntarily broken my sleep like this or slept i guess less deep if it wasn't for a baby like it's that's a hard thing to do that's a hard thing to have discipline over because it's just easy to just go unconscious and be like i'm i'm just i just want to sleep you know <laughs> it's like i'm hungry i just want to eat everything <laughs> <laughs> yes. I do have to eat a significant amount more food than I normally would eat. It's pretty demanding of doing um, breastfeeding on a nutritional scale. But it's also not like, you know, some people say, I'm starving. Like, I don't really feel like that. However, if I fast for a little bit too long, like if I eat at like first time at 1230 in the afternoon or, or, or one o'clock or two o'clock, Sometimes I can see a slight reduction in breast milk when that happens. So I really have to be more regular with eating than I would normally be. I can't say with more practice comes more breast milk. Otherwise I'd be like, this is the thing you got to do to increase your supply. But I don't think it, it hurts it. And it probably um, helps the quality of the, the milk that you would make by having more CO2 in the body. He was very slow to actually eat anything because he started teething only at like almost eight months for the first time. And normally kids start eating at six months and they start eating some solid food at six months. And he really wasn't interested in any of that. He just wanted to drink breast milk and that's it. And so I was told by the pediatrician, you have to make sure that he doesn't get low in iron because breast milk doesn't have enough iron in it um, at that point in the baby's life. And what the baby has gotten at birth is at this point depleted. So, um, they, uh, we did measure his hemoglobin levels uh, nine months and it was slightly low, but then he all of a sudden started wanting to eat food, probably why, you know, and, and we had it checked again at one year and it was like super great. Like it came up one and a half great points. So it was really, um, it was really quite awesome to see that. And I didn't do any supplementation. We just, he just started eating more. I found with one of my kids, I had to chew the food. Yeah, so so in the beginning, uh, I have a food processor and I would throw it in there and it would become like, it's like meat and potatoes or whatever and, 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 and fat. And we would roll it in these little balls and, and he would pick them up and just eat them like that. I didn't even have to feed him. He just, he fed himself. And, uh, it's, and, he, and that's how he prefers it. And right now, you know, he wants to do everything himself. I gave him like, some blueberries in a little pouch, you know, and the blueberries in the pouch is kind of like all over the floor a little bit, but it's not, not too bad. <laughs> I'm just going to use whatever works. We're, we're just doing these couple of things and then see how little we can do with. <laughs> That's part of the Pateco method in a way, because it's like not being over anything, like over consumption of anything, but also over buying off all the things that you need. And, oh, I'm going to need 20 of these things and I'm going to need there's just you just uh, do more with less i mean it's quite amazing we have followed through the whole process of your pregnancy birth you know then when he was very little now he's one year old he looks really you're saying he is healthy because he also looks great so beautiful yeah. beautiful child smiling very awake he looks at you like, what's going on here? And then he smiles very quickly. It's really interesting that you say that because uh, we go 
in the grocery store and there's this like the trolley or in America it's a cart the cart that you use looks like a car <laughs> so you sit in the thing and there's like a little steering wheel and he sits in there and he loves it and he's making like like brum brum noises like the whole time while he's I mean I could stay in a grocery store for two hours and he would enjoy it but and I don't know if it's like that with almost all babies I mean I always smile at babies whenever I see them um out in public but every single person that looks up and wants to smile at him and he smiles back at them so there's a really nice interaction with strangers passing by um very calm he's actually very calm with strangers but if I would imagine if I'm not comfortable with somebody I don't think he would be comfortable with somebody I think it comes maybe energetically from a parent but you know I think he trusts his environment that 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 he's in and he interacts with it very calmly and easily yeah, there was a, correct me if I'm wrong, Martha, that there was this study that was done that people with very high control posts, I think it was in, in, in the military, maybe, um, they looked for people who had naturally a, a high control post. And those who had a very high control post, they have that, those kind of characteristics. They, they were very popular among their peers because they had a very good character. They were very much liked. Also, they were very good at sports and things like that, but they were not sort of highly competitive. They were not like out to get, you know, first or out to get, you know, all of the other opponents in, in the sports. They were just very good at it naturally and they had fun with it. And they also, they were liked by their peers. And uh, I don't know, it's just, this just came to my mind that uh, there's a connection with that too, with being healthy, but also... Uh, that brings like some sort of emotional health as well with it. I think the taker looked for people with a control pause of 60 and he found them in the military, other places. And these were the characteristics that you mentioned. Relaxed, non-competitive, affable, good mood, could go into aerobic activity to their best ability at a moment's notice only yeah. took an interest in what they're interested in they knew what they were interested in and the rest of the time they relaxed hmm, that's interesting that's that's a big one i think and a deep one i think that's a very interesting feature of a high control pause so you have more freedom it's like no one's going to get you to do things that you don't want to do you just simply i mean it's the <laughs> anti-slavery recipe right like it will be much you, you're much harder to control actually yeah, yeah. it's a problem for civilization mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's why we take a call the chronic diseases of diseases of civilization yeah and how is how is your husband he's really good he's um he's adapting to it really well my husband um you know it's like in some ways, because just before we signed on to the podcast, he started crying because my husband had to get something in the room and then leave. And then he was all like really upset that he was really, really upset that um, that he's like, why is my why is my dad leaving? You know, I mean, and Tyler plays with him a whole lot. They do a lot of playing around. I mean, I get things done like laundry and things like that in the house. So sometimes he's like, all right, buddy, we're going to do laundry now. And then okay, we're going to get folded. And I close them in the room and he plays with the laundry that I'm folding. But 
he's involved in the project and he comes to work with me from time to time. Uh, every other Thursday or so he comes to work with me. Sometimes I wear him. Sometimes he just plays around my office. He is, and I space clients out on that day. I only see like three clients or something, but there's an hour in between. So, you know, I could pay attention to him or change diapers or feed or anything like that. So there's a um, organic movement happening. My husband even brings him to his work sometimes. His office is, is very uh, child-friendly. It's good for Lucien to, to um, you know, know where his parents go when they're not home. I think he learns that. I think that helps the nervous system in a way. We just involve him in all aspects. If we go to functions or whatever, we come. he comes with us, he, we wear him. We do have people that we trust that help us out when we have to be somewhere that, but it's always like these people become family, but we have some people that we really trust that come over and, 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 and help them. Yes. Um, so have you, have you made any observations on his breathing? You know, um, it's interesting. Babies are like, they make lots of noises out of their mouth and stuff like that. You know, it's not like their mouth is shut and they're just breathing through their nose the whole time. They're exploring their entire world, like through their mouth most of the time. But he doesn't breathe through his mouth. Sometimes I look at it and his mouth is open and I go and I would like put a mirror or I would like go closer to see if he's breathing through his mouth. And he's not. And even if his mouth is open and he's sleeping, he's not breathing through his mouth. I have noticed... And this has only happened twice where he's had some form of congestion for a day, blocked nose or something because he was teething and had like, you know, maybe some pain or something like that. And, and he had some blocked nose and he would wake up all the time. Like, and he would be, you know, he wouldn't want to breathe through his mouth. So he wakes up and he's kind of miserable. So what we do, or what I do is I just have him nurse and nurse and nurse. And then if he, eventually his nose would unclog because you know we teach people how to how to um how to clear their nose by a breath hold so essentially it's a little bit like that so you plug it up <laughs> plug up the mouth by having him drink milk or something and then he and then he would like un you know basically unclog his own nose great i mean this is such a what do you think martha this is such an amazing story on normalcy of how things should be is like one chapter after the other we're we've done five podcasts with you and it's been like a example of a, of the, the process that you could go through if you have a mother with a solid practice of the buteco method i mean you do take care of your health in general you've been doing it for a long time you also i mean you come a long way from sports etc of, of taking care of your health but still, you know, it's very I think something that gets really underestimated with the, with potato breathing is the mental health component of it. And I'm not necessarily saying this from like everybody should do the advanced breathing um, stuff, which I think everybody should do that. But um, I think it gets underestimated because your mental health and how much you control you can exercise over that really depends on everything. Your baby's not going to be healthy if you are constantly freaking out over things eventually they'll probably form some sort of like behavioral issue or something like that or stomach ache or 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 whatever it's it, your energetic environment and what you have going on is what affects your kid because your 
your biofield is six feet out away from you and so is his and that when you are together your biofield's together so if you're not aligned in yourself then that is going over to your kid and the best way to find alignment when you fall out of alignment is to either do a practice or do some shallow breathing and we constantly say shallow breathing and lots of people listen to that because I listen to a lot of other health people and they talk about how shallow breathing is bad, but I don't think that they understand what we say when we mean shallow breathing, you know, like shallow breathing, not done with your chest, not done with your neck muscles, which is your secondary breathing muscles and done deep into the diaphragm. And, and I think people associate deep breathing with big breathing, but really it's shallow breathing deep into your body. And because you can keep routing yourself back to that, you can hold yourself in alignment. And when you can hold yourself in alignment, that would be the best thing for your kids. And I read, not just read, but I know like, and that not even in a relationship with your kid, that's in a relationship with your clients or your husband or your, or, or your colleagues or whoever that might be. The most important thing that you can do is for you to stay in alignment because that would help everything in your environment. And um, everything that I have read talks about how that stability is like what sets emotion for everything, whether it's your digestion or whether it's your um, energy levels or your hormonal health or whatever. If you're constantly freaking out and your adrenals are all firing all the time, it's going to tire out all the other hormones in your body, obviously. So it's going to be bad for your hormones. So people can say, oh, you need to balance your hormones, you need to balance your hormones. But at the end of the day, how do you balance your hormones? You need to get into alignment with yourself. And so, being a parent, you go through a huge change of lifestyle. Yes. And you really need to get into agreement with that. And that's what you have been able to demonstrate, is to be in agreement with that change to go from independent adult into having a dependent to look after you, to look after and that's mentally a huge change. Yes. And I would say, if anything, do the method for that reason. Mm. Do the method for the reason of, of mental stability, where you can surrender to the moment and say, uh, well, first of all, I am not this. And do a self-inquiry, slow the system down or, or get it in alignment. But then also know that this is all we got to do is to be in the present moment with ourselves. And this is, this is what has to happen right now. It is not to go, oh, I don't want this. Like if you're saying, no, I don't want this, you're in a conflict in your mind over what actually is. And that creates, that creates um, deeper breathing. I mean, that steals life vitality, <laughs> essentially. So um, sometimes I really needed to go do something in the house or I was in the middle of doing a project and you need something it's like a meditation in itself because you're just you're just saying i'm just going to have to submit like there isn't very much time for me to sit into meditation anymore but what i do do is when i'm nursing i'm like okay well i'm trapped here now so we're just gonna have to stay here and because we're staying here you're just surrendering to the to the situation and that's it we're gonna be all right we're gonna be here right now when you're doing some elimination communication where you um, realize a cue and he needs to go potty or something like that, uh, you um, you just say, okay, well, we're going to sit on the toilet now. So we're doing this for 10 minutes, you know, 
even if nothing happens or, or whatever, this is what he wanted to do and where he needed to be. Yeah, and then you've got him all ready to go out and all of a sudden he needs to go to the toilet so you go out and dress him. Yeah, exactly. Or like you needed to do, and not to react to that and get your own hormones up in a bunch. Because sometimes every now and then I catch myself and I want to react. There might be a small reaction. And then I go, oh, wait, I'm reacting. Well, that's no good. Like, let's just move on and and do what has to be done in this moment what has to be what has to happen right now okay we're doing this right now yeah i think that the key is that you stop the chain reaction i mean if you have a reaction that's fine but so you stop the the process of getting everything into a mess just because something small happened so just something small happened that small thing happened you deal with it and that's it it's over but the, this kinds of chains, chain reactions where you get upset and then, then because you get upset, something has happened because you get these things happens, then you fight with someone, then that fight triggers something else, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And your own thoughts also have their own train. So you just cut the thought and get on with it, yeah? And that is the thing that when people start talking about childhood adverse experiences, that's what they're talking about. Those are the ACE scores. The parent is not aligned, snaps at the kid, doesn't really mean to do that, doesn't really mean to snap at the kid, doesn't want to um, have that happen, but they do that anyway because they're not aware of the situation or what's going on. And so then now there's repercussion went into your child. I know that if you can control yourself for the first three years of your kid's life, you have done like 80% of the work. Like you need to really like stay on par for the first three years. You want to hold them close. You want to make sure that they're with you. That's why in ancient traditions and traditional cultures, they also said that you shouldn't have any children before um, one child is uh, three years old because there's, there's a, there's a um, brain waves or whatever the development is happening with a the kid. They need that attention from the parent. And then, you can have the next one and, and also for the, develop, for the um, health of the mother um, to recuperate, be done nursing, recuperate their body and then be able to get pregnant again. I'm not saying people aren't having healthy lifestyles and having children 18 months apart from each other, but this is the reason why they wanted to ensure a stronger tribe is to make sure that there's spacing between children, not just for like physical reasons for the mother, but also developmental reasons for the child. And, mm -hmm. and since you, you have these three years, like really take advantage of these three years, you got, you got that. And if there's stuff that happened in those three years, then equip yourself with knowledge of how to heal that part of your child later on in their life or like during that period. Because I mean, if you know better, then you should do better. And, and, Yes, a reaction happens, but do better. So if they keep happening all the time, it means you're falling off the wagon and you need to get back on your practice and like, and, and get yourself back into alignment again. You, it's your responsibility. You can do all these things for your kid, but if you don't have a control over yourself, it's not good for your kid. <laughs> it's not good for anybody, but it's not, definitely not good for your kid. Yeah, I find it very interesting that you find the advanced work because someone who, even someone who knows the method would think, okay, how, how is this mother of, of a one-year-old child, you know, keeping up with her control boss, having high control boss and, and, and managing her health through the Buteco method? 
Some will think that you're doing lots of pauses, that you're constantly doing pauses or making shallow breathing, which you are doing the you are doing the pauses and the shallow breathing, but it is the advanced work, it is the mental work that is seems to be transpires for what you're saying that is really hitting the the mark, yeah. There's two things I can definitely say that always comes from the advanced work when I start thinking about life and how things work. Christopher likes to use the example of when you wake up in the morning and you pick a shirt to wear and you put that shirt on and he says, do you think you could have picked a different shirt? And then you always say, yeah, of course, I have other shirts to pick. And he's like, no, because that is the shirt you picked because you don't want to be in conflict with what actually is. And so I think about that all the time when I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this right now. Then I have to, I, I, I basically, I go, wow, brain, you just said you're now in conflict with what is. So can you I take a step back and I reverse and I'm like, okay, wait, well, you know, I'm not this situation. And what needs to happen is this, what needs to be happening right now. So I think that's that's the part that's a really important part and i think i have listened to this the advanced workshop show so many times now that i really i get it now you know like i and, it, and it's a little bit new things every single time that comes out but just sometimes just logging in and listening to it i, I was like oh yeah that's right oh yeah i bring myself back to that place of stand in the place of non-conflict with yourself because that you know, your kid is going to do something that you don't like. <laughs> and like, if you keep reacting over that, it's, you know, or having a major reaction over that. He does things, he gets into things, playing with something, pulling it over on himself. He pulled a really heavy thing over on his feet. And it was a, it was so terrible. Like, I couldn't get that image out of my mind. But like, I'm like, okay, if I freak out, it's not going to be good for him. So I have to stay calm in the situation and, and, and be there for him to regulate his emotion through me. And I think um, in, in society, I think people's emotions are all over the place because they don't know how to regulate their emotion because maybe at the same time a child is having an emotion, the parent is also having an emotion. The kid is throwing a tantrum and he's, he's having a, um, a tough time with something and and then you say and then you react to the kid doing all that you want to get down you want to get down no all right the kid is having a reaction so now you're having a reaction over that because you need to show your dominance or you need to say i am the parent and i need to show you straight or or whatever that might be and now the child doesn't learn how to regulate his own emotions you need to become the vessel that the child can do that through and you can't do that you cannot do that if, if, if you're busy reacting and like reacting to things that are how you like it to be. Also, he needs to have confidence that when he makes mistakes or comes up to something that's dangerous, oh. that he learns why it's dangerous, especially with boys. Because I, I found with my two boys, that the best thing was for them to actually have the experience. Yes. And you have to be there with them while they have the experience to help them to understand. And I remember my eldest saw, he, we were out on a cold day. 
and he saw a boat in the distance on the on the lake and he was really taken with it and he pointed and he ran towards the boat and he was fully clothed and ran into the lake because he wanted to get to the boat and it was freezing cold you know we wrapped him up stripped him down wrapped him up in a towel took him home he won't do that again right he'll feel the water before he does that it's like yeah. the stove is hot you know it's like um we're trying to teach him how to not get into ant piles because we live in the country and there is a lot of ant piles and they they bite them all the time um that he like learns hey don't go there and go there and he's fascinated by all bugs so like <laughs> at this point he he wants to um like play with a bug but eventually some bites back you know so you're gonna have to learn how not to to do that <laughs> but 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 i'll say it again it's so many psychologists talk about this is you need to be control of your emotions so that your kid can help themselves regulate their emotions because if your emotions are all over the place that's what your kid learns and, and that just makes for a better environment if you can if you can do that and the best way to do that is 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 to have a practice of some sort which is what we have here what we teach well that is what calms the nervous system down i mean that is one of the major functions of CO2. It's a, it's a, um, Christopher always says, we need to record a, um, a podcast or something like that. I'm like, I'm gonna record one and talk about how awesome CO2 is and call it awesome CO2 or something like that. Everybody wanna click on it and says, I wanna see this thing. Somebody talked about how great CO2 is. Why can't we have like CO2 canisters and like the hospitals and stuff other than for anesthesia, but like, for people to breathe it at a certain percentage to calm them down out of hysteria or something like that i don't know if somebody could do that study or or, or whatever there's some people who really like have a panic attack what if you give somebody co2 while they're having a panic attack you put a paper bag over your mouth that's how yeah 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 no that's true yeah i mean from what you were saying before about uh i think and i and i don't know you talked about what psychologists say but also it makes sense uh, from a common sense point of view that so in my experience, for example, I, I am very aware, for example, that I learned from how my parents are, not the things that they told me. I mean, what the things they told me were, were not unimportant, but compared with, with how they are. And you tend to, you tend to pick on that. So you, you become like them in, in many ways. Of and course. you realize that I am the way I am that is close to my parents, or the way I have inherited in some way by the way they are, not so much what they told me. And, and you pick on that, it's like a sort of much more profound, much more uh, bottom line kind of way of being in the world. Yeah. And I think that's what your child is going to pick. And it's obvious that he's already picking on. Right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you say that because my parents were, my parents were in the country for three and a half weeks. They flew from South Africa because they, yeah, oh, buddy, it's all right. Okay. 
Well, my parents came here from South Africa for three and a half weeks. So they lived in my house for three and a half weeks. And we, um, we had a really wonderful holiday, but I, I had a lot of apprehension because, you know, your parents are the ones that raise you and the biggest fight anybody ever has is with their family and like all this kind of stuff. And I was like, now there's a baby and like, you know, and so for weeks I prepared myself, like these people are gonna come in, they're gonna say things like, you should do this with your baby and you should do that with your baby. And like, you should do these things. And you know, this is what I did with you and all this kind of stuff. And not to react and say, well, you know, see how great that turned out. Or like, you know, I have this problem and that problem or whatever it might be. <laughs> I have to like not react to that, to just hear what they have to say. I, I like to call that the don't throw the baby out with a bathwater. It's like, they are trying to say something to you that's meaningful and that means something to them. And if I cannot react to what they say, because I'm like, I have an opposing position with it or I, I have a different belief or whatever that might be, can I just like sit here and listen to what they say without reacting? And something that I did feel very strongly is that because I was in my environment, it was rather easy to stay grounded and to say, oh, this is where I practice the method. And like, this is, you know, this is my house or, you know, this is the, the way I do things or whatever. Um, and maybe it's because they weren't in their environment and they were just, there was a lot of excitement to, uh, uh, with a little um, kid around, little baby around. But I can say that whenever my mom started having a conversation or telling me a story or something like that, that I was like gonna be a triggering story or event or, or discussion, I did focus on shallow breathing at that time to make sure that I can stay in alignment for what is truly being said here, not to listen to reply or listen, listen to react, in other words, to that. And, and I would say, and I actually didn't have that much time to um, practice the method, but when we were driving in the car, for instance, when I would normally do pauses, my, I was like, my dad's not gonna like me do pauses in the car. He's like sitting right there. He's gonna be like, you wait, you're gonna hold your breath for like two minutes while you're driving me in the car? I don't think so. So <laughs> like, you know, I didn't do any of that, but I did, um, um, I did uh, um, do lots and lots of shallow breathing. And because we also did a lot of outdoors activities, um, that maybe that helped too. And while we were doing these activities, I focused on shallow breathing while we were walking or um, while I was talking, when we were having lots of conversations, walking and talking, really making sure like I'm not over breathing or breathing through my mouth or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So that helped a lot too. It helps with inter-family relational um, yeah. events. And that's, and that's interesting because doing that, someone who hasn't done the method is listening to this like, wow, these people are thinking about their breathing all the time. So what else do they do? The funny thing is that it's not something that you, it's not real work. It's something that you do naturally that actually helps you to, I noticed that, that uh, it actually helps you to concentrate, to be present in the moment, to be present on your inner physiology of what's going on in your body with your breathing but also on the outer, you you listen better. You're more you're calmer. You can listen better. You can answer uh, accordingly. And this is this is a very inter interesting experience because it's not work. It's not like you're obsessed with something 
apart from the world is you're actually more connected. If anything, it helps you check back in all the time because it's like, uh, okay, how's my breathing right now? So that I don't react in a situation or how's my breathing right now? So I stay in alignment of I'm not this, you know, what am I? You know, that's happening all the time. Sometimes I ask that and then, and it takes what? Less than 10, five seconds, you know, 10 seconds. It's not like I'm like, oh, now let me check my breathing or like, I don't, you know, it really doesn't take time. It is, a, it's extra thoughts that you have now because of that. It's now you have extra thought because you have a kid and you're like, now I got to think about the kid too. You just have learned how to think about your breathing like it's your kid. <laughs> It doesn't matter where you are, you're in that state of stillness within. You can access it. Hey. <laughs> Probably at the end of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I want to do more of this podcast. Like... I've been doing them since I was before I was born. Then <laughs> 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 yeah, no, he's smiling, you see? Oh, great. oh God. Yeah, you pay attention to him, all of a sudden energy changes. It's great. You want to wave bye. Bye bye. Wave. Yeah. Bye, Lucien. Bye bye. Thank you so much, okay. Renata. Beautiful. Bye bye. Everybody. He's saying bye too. Look at that. Hey. Bye bye. bye. Have a wonderful day, you guys. And what a wonderful, gorgeous child. Um. I hope you really took notice in these six chapters of what the Boteco Method can do for the process of pregnancy and becoming a mother, because it really is incredible to see how Renata and her whole family is thriving. If you want to find out more about the Boteco Method, uh, visit the website learnbutecoonline.net and sign up for a free webinar where you can find out more about this wonderful method. I really hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you in the next one.